0: Almighty Father, we come to you, we gather together, um, even on Zoom, to proclaim your holy name, Lord, to um, give thanks for the spirit that you have poured into our hearts, Lord, to uh, repent and be made new, even this morning, and we pray that the words of scripture, which we reflect on, could be seeds in our heart to bear fruit in our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Emily and I were married almost 12 years ago in my father's front yard. We stood under a towering maple tree uh, in front of a valley that looked off across to the silhouette, perfect silhouette, of Mount Monadnock, which I know probably many of you have climbed. 250 people were in attendance, milling about, gathering around the gardens, getting ready for the service. It just rained like every moment of that June, except for the morning of our ceremony. I was 20 years old, having just graduated from my junior year in college. And I had been in love with Emily since I was 15 years old. And I had waited for this day anxiously, but I was also perilously nervous. I couldn't sleep the night before. I woke up with the sun around 4 a.m. and started doing random things around the house. My nerves eventually caught up to me, and one of my faithful groomsmen had to pat me on the back as I got sick. I was just scared. Would I be up to this? Was I ready to be a good husband? Irrational fears filled my mind. I splashed water on my face, and I got my tux on. Covenants. Covenants are serious things. They commit us to be faithful forever. They can't be taken lightly. And that is why the image of marriage is so important for understanding the story of Israel and our story as Christ's church. And so today I want to look at a couple of things. First, the covenant that God makes with Israel. Second, the promise that the Lord makes to Jeremiah from our Jeremiah 31 reading this morning. And third, how Jesus fulfills that covenant for us. In his body and blood. The book of Jeremiah is sobering. The weeping prophet, they call him, and he had a very difficult message to deliver, one of destruction due to Israel's unfaithfulness. Jeremiah stands on the edge of Babylonian exile, the destruction of the temple and the nation of Israel, and the Lord puts his own word in Jeremiah's mouth. But the people don't listen. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number, the Lord says. And so through the ridicule of the people, Jeremiah proclaims this message of destruction and desolation, and they beat him and they put him in stocks. They do not repent. And all of this is framed around a number of images in the book of Jeremiah, vineyards and other things. But the strongest image perhaps is one of a husband, Israel, and his unfaithful spouse. Hosea, of course, develops this even more vividly. And if Israel was the bride to the Lord, the question is, when did they get married? And the answer answer is Sinai, right? It's when he brings the people out into the wilderness and delivers them from Egypt. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me into the wilderness, into a land not yet sown. The Lord sweeps the people of Israel out of Egypt like a lover, sweeping his beloved off her feet and whisking her away so that they can be alone together. And in the wilderness, he makes a covenant with them and he will be their God and they will be his people and that they should love him as their only God and let no other loves come between them to live as a married people. And all of the signs of the law marking them out were like a wedding ring placed upon her finger so that everyone would know she belonged to her beloved. But as we looked at two weeks ago, the covenant, that wedding ring, did not change the hearts of the people. The people still loved other things. And when they, are, and when they were unfaithful, it made the offense so much worse because they were not like the other nations or peoples. They belonged to the Lord. They were his covenantal people and as such were capable of a deeper and graver betrayal and sinned and all the nations around them. And so the Lord, he sets this out. He says, I- I've put two courses in front of you, a way of death and a way of life. And they continually pick the course of death. The people continue to long for other gods and nations. And in the end, the Lord relents and he allows them to be like all the other nations, just like all the nations that are devoured and swept away. By the jaws of empire. Jeremiah watches as the nation destroys, as the nation is destroyed, and the people are carried off to Babylon. And in chapter 29, we get the famous letter to the exiles. Pray for peace of this city in Babylon, he tells them. Plant gardens, be fruitful as you wait for your ultimate redemption. The first covenant was one of heartache and tragedy. But the love of God is everlasting. And his faithfulness is without end, which is why even as the first covenant fails, he promises, he promises something to Jeremiah. And that was our reading from this morning. This is why in Jeremiah 31, God makes a promise that this is not the end of the story. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my People. And no longer will each of them turn to his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. For the least, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Now the Lord promises that he will make a new covenant with Israel, one where the hearts of the people would be turned to him. Ezekiel makes a similar claim that they should receive hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. Now remember, this promise comes at the least likely time. You think COVID is a dark season. Try brutal oppression under a foreign empire that destroys your world, your temple, only to cart you away 1,600 miles, strip you of your identity, and crush all of your hopes. That's the place this promise comes for the people of Israel. And it's in that place that Jeremiah delivers hope. He will no longer just give the law to the people and have them bind it to themselves, but rather that he will write the law on their hearts. To continue the image of marriage, imagine the Lord saying, I will sweep you away again. Only this time, you won't just agree to marry me and wear your wedding ring, all the while living with a wandering eye and a restless heart. No, this time, this time I will win your heart. And you will love me even as I love you. The word in verse 34 for know the Lord is the same word used in Genesis 4.1 that Adam knew Eve and she conceived. The image is not just to know stuff about the Lord or the law, but to know the Lord. And he promises that from the least to the greatest, will know him. And he will remember their sins no more. But that promise, that promise is echoed for many centuries. The people would return from exile and rebuild the temple and await redemption from exile under Rome. But more importantly exile from their own hearts. And that is when Jesus finally comes onto the scene. This brings us to Jesus, the Messiah, our deliverer, and the new covenant. In the gospel of John, Jesus has turned the world upside down already by chapter 12. He heals the sick and feeds the masses. He calms the seas and entangles religious leaders in their own words. And he makes bold claims. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the good shepherd. And finally, in chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead and proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. And at this point, people are ready to crown him king and follow him into glorious battle. But Jesus, Jesus didn't have that in mind. He did indeed come to dethrone a ruler, but he wasn't interested in Caesar or Herod. He wanted to dethrone the tempter who forever seduced the bride of Israel away from the Lord, who slithered in the garden and called like a siren in the wilderness. But Jesus, Jesus is not like Jeremiah, as faithful as Jeremiah was. Jeremiah was ridiculed and rejected for bringing the word of the Lord to the people, and Jesus, too, in the end is killed. But Jesus wasn't just proclaiming the word. Jesus was the word, the word that was to be written on people's hearts. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If, everyone, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant must be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from heaven, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The new covenant. The new covenant is established not by the giving of the law, but by the fulfilling of the law. The fulfillment of the law in Jesus, the Messiah. He is the one who is faithful to the father, who turns the hearts of the children back to the father and the father toward the children. He gives them a new way to be Israel, a new way to be human. And all of us, by the transformation of our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, have hope. But we have to put all of that hope and faith in Jesus, in his life, his death, his resurrection. The new covenant isn't the same as the old. It's made, uh, it's made in the breaking of Christ's own body, his faithfulness. The love of the Father made perfectly known in the faithful, broken body of Jesus. The former covenant was marred by our unfaithfulness, this new covenant illumined by God's own faithfulness in his son. In his broken body, we have bread that satisfies. In his blood poured out, we have drink that truly quenches the unquenchable thirst of our souls. And in his own body, Jesus dethrones Satan, and is established as Lord in the resurrection. But this new covenant calls us on a paradoxical way, a way of love, a way which bids us come and die, so that then we can live, a way that asks us to fall into the ground so that then we can rise up and be fruitful. And that seems completely counterintuitive but it is also the most natural thing in the world for those who are supposed to be the bride of Christ. Marriage requires that we die to ourselves and be made one flesh so that we can be fruitful together. Love asks us to give up everything in order to receive everything in return. Love promises us new hearts and lives but asks that our old hearts and lives be crucified and resurrected in the process. Why do we observe Lent as a church? It isn't so that we can beat ourselves up and wallow in our own wretchedness. No, we repent in joy because we have been offered a new covenant and a new life. We sow our lives in tears knowing that Christ will reap us back in joy. And that, that is our new covenant promise. Our bridegroom calls to us to love the Lord and to love one another as his people. Well, I was all jitters that day when I was standing there in front of everyone. And at 11 o'clock, the sun was beating down on us and there was a faint rustle of wind all around. My brother Michael started picking at the guitar playing Be Thou My Vision. And then I saw her coming around the corner of the house with her parents, all dressed in white. And something, well, embarrassing happened. Strange, I completely lost it. All the jitters and the fears just disappeared. All the doubts that seemed to be ever present to me that morning were impossibly far away. And I just sobbed in front of 250 people. But what most people don't know is that at that very moment, while I was rejoicing that I saw my bride, I also felt the Lord say something to me. I felt the Lord say, this is my down payment of hope to you. Because one day, like this one, I will have my bride and all creation will rejoice in her. Pray with me. Lord, we, (laughs) we identify so much with Israel that we can be an unfaithful people. And yet, Lord, we also rejoice in the fact that you have sent us your Holy Spirit, that we have a new covenant. And Lord, we ask that you write your law of love onto our hearts, that we are willing to be people who walk the paradoxical way of love. That, Lord, in giving, we receive. that in giving our lives over to you, that we receive them back. That, Lord, in people of sacrifice, we also are people of abundant joy continue to turn our hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.